0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. So yesterday we had our whistle-stop tour of the first um, chapter and a half of the book of Nehemiah, talking about his heart, what he wanted to do, how he felt about his compatriots, people he knew, how he felt about his, his... land of origin, how he felt about the destruction, and what he thought he could do. And then we know that when he went, he he took um, the letters to be able to get him through, the governors, and he asked for assistance. But that's great. But then, what happened then? What happens when he leaves the security that he had by the king? He travels... To a place of hostility, don't forget. This is a place under siege. It had been destroyed. The walls had been destroyed. The gates had been destroyed. And it was there as a statement. You will not come back. This is a place of desolation and destruction. It was a point. And yet from chapter 2, the beginning of verse 11... We read that, so Nehemiah said, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose at night, I and a few men with me, and told no one what God had put in my heart to do with Jerusalem. He went with an understanding. You know why our plans fail quite often? It's often because they are our plans. They're my plans and my plans alone. Even when we're trying to do good things, positive things, productive things, we may end up doing them selfishly and pushing our own agendas, our own self-interest, our own priorities. We end up, in our own way, wanting to fulfill what we want But here, he goes specifically to fulfill what God had placed in his heart for Jerusalem. And we all know for a fact that whatever God places in our hearts is good. It is beneficial. It is productive. It is gracious. It builds. It empowers. It heals. It reconciles. That's what God has placed in his heart. He was going there to rebuild the walls. And don't forget, the rebuilding of the walls wasn't just about structural rebuilding. This was, in its own way, a reconciliation of God's promise. Because Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. And the people were going to go back. They were no longer going to be desolate. They were no longer going to be spread. They were no longer going to be dispersed. But they would go back where they belonged within the protection of those walls. So there was so much more at stake. And that's one thing we need to realize. When God wants to use us, He wants to use us for great things. It may look like something small but he wants to use us for great things. Things that are in his mind, in his plan, for his world. In the way he sees it. Now, unfortunately, I suppose fortunately, I don't know, if we were God, the world would be very different. I don't think we'd have the same level of tolerance, at least I wouldn't. We'd have the same level of tolerance or love or, 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 or forgiveness, but the fact that our God is that God, means his heart is for all of us. So Nehemiah goes back. He goes out by night and goes to the valley gate, the serpent wall, the refuse gate. He views the wall of Jerusalem and he sees it has been broken down and the gates have been burnt with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate, the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal. So I went up by night to the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. This wasn't just a, oh look, I'm gonna have a look. Okay, it's real desolation, it's destruction, I'm going home. This was intentional. When we want to do something, we need to be faithful. To use whatever gifts we have to the best of our abilities in the best way. Don't cut corners be diligent you know in your own work in your studies in your social life in your commitments you are asked to be faithful how much more so when you are doing something that can potentially impact others impact their lives impact their salvation that's how important we are now of course not important in our own right because we are there to fulfill God's plan but what is important is the negative has implications. So imagine if Nehemiah had not gone back have not gone back, the people would still be scattered, the walls will still be destroyed, the gates would still be burned. The reconciliation would not have happened. So sometimes in thinking about what we have to do, we need to very carefully consider what happens if we don't do what we're supposed to do. That in itself has an implication. Now with God's plan, God will use other people, but we miss our opportunity to be part of it. Today, we're speaking about Nehemiah because he responded, he went, he was faithful. Imagine if he was someone like Jonah, who decided to run the other way. And even when things went the way God wanted them, he was disgruntled, he was in a bad mood, he just didn't like it. He'd be remembered very, very differently. What happened when Nehemiah saw this? He felt it. In verse 17, he says, And I said to them, You see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burnt with fire? He was moved. He was moved. When we see situations where people are suffering, what's our response? Are we moved? Are we compassionate? Or do we just swipe to the next news item? Or we switch the channel and go to entertainment or sport? Or we flip the page and go to something that is less stressful? How many times have we not taken that call from that person because the conversation was going to be too intense? How many times have we seen someone struggling, and decided that we just couldn't do it? We are not supposed to carry the weight of the world, but we are supposed to carry one another at times of need. Not to turn our backs on each other. Nehemiah had his cushy job, he had his job security, he had his prominence. He could have just come, seen, oh, look, what a waste, it's horrible, it's terrible, and just gone back. And yet he was moved. He was moved to the extent that he said to them, Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. For as long as there are people suffering among us, we are a reproach. For as long as there are people who do not find themselves among us, we are a reproach. For as long as we see suffering and remain silent, not addressing it, but ignoring it, we are a reproach. And the only way to overcome that is to help rebuild and reconcile and heal. That's our role. We have been placed, and as St. Paul reminds us, given the ministry of reconciliation. When Nehemiah says here, Come, let us build, it's from his heart. It's not what we were saying earlier about, you know, you can't be bothered. I have too much going on in my life. You know, I'm I'm in the king's court, I have enough pressures, I've got to get everything right. It's a place of incredible responsibility. God's put me there, I can do great things there. I don't want to risk it, I'm just going to stay there. Really sad what's happening to them, I'm sure someone else will come. He didn't say that. He wanted to be part of the solution. How many of us want to be part of a solution? How many of us? Genuinely. Unfortunately, in today's culture, we are going the other way. We're going for seclusion. We are going for detachment. We are going for comfortable distance. And then what? What happens to those around us who need us? And what happens to us when we need others? You know, there's, um, in in the line of the advocacy work I do, I've come across a a, a quote by uh, a post-Reformation pastor called Nehomolo, and it was about the attack on the Jews. And he says, um, first they came for the trade unionists, And I wasn't a trade unionist, so I didn't speak Then they came for the socialists and I wasn't a socialist so I didn't speak Then they came for the communists and I wasn't a communist so I didn't speak Then they came for the Jews and I wasn't a Jew so I didn't speak And when they came for me There was no-one left to speak for me We are entrusted with each other As a church family, as a community, of course we are entrusted. But we are entrusted with each other as the world. We cannot see others suffer and comfort ourselves by saying, Well, nothing to do with me. That's someone else. This is something else. He said, Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. So they said to him, let us arise and build. And they set their hands to this great work. It took one person. One person. Now I'm sure you all have incidents and examples in your lives where you've seen one person make a difference. Whether that was you or somebody else. It often just takes one person. You know, it, it astounds me. And I, I was thinking about this from the negative You know, when you hear horrible things happening in the world, and you hear horrible wars starting, you know it comes down to one person. It may have gone through committees and deliberations, but the idea must start with one person. One person at least uttered it, and it became a reality. The greatest wars the world has ever seen have started with one person. The greatest tragedies we have experienced in our lives have started with one person. People we may know who are not in church, who are not in the faith, who feel shunned and excluded have started with one person. And yet the remedies, the healing, the reconciliation can all also start with one person. Don't ever underestimate you as a single person. Your gesture, your sentiment, your intention, your action. One person can change so much. And of course, our Lord wanted to prove that. Because we've seen lots of individual people like John the Baptist like some of the disciples, but He Himself as the incarnate Word, as God in flesh coming into the world to save the world, just as through one person humanity fell, through one person salvation was reinstated. Be that one person. Whether it be in your family, your community, in your church, in your workspace, in the world. Be that one person who makes that one gesture and takes that one step. And then one of those inspiring verses in Nehemiah comes from 2.20. So I answered and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, shall arise and build. The most comforting thing about all of this is you don't have to do it alone. You just have to have your heart moved, respond to it, be faithful, and as we heard earlier, In the worship song, say, here I am, Lord. As we've seen time and time and time again, here I am, send me. But God doesn't just send us, what does he do? He accompanies us. Sometimes going before us, sometimes going by our side. But he never just sends. Now this is the cool bit how did they build chapter 4 verse 6 so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work now this is specific the wall was built the entire wall was joined together When you read the chapter before, you see exactly how it was done. Nehemiah mobilizes people, inspires them, and he gets them to build the bits of the wall in front of their homes, one by one. You see, the work we have to do is a collaborative work. When you build a wall, You can do it in several ways. You either build it row by row. So if you imagine a big circle, you build one full row, then another row, then a third row. That takes a long time. Or you build it in segments. So that rather than building rows, you're building segments of wall. My bit is this bit here. Yours is the one in front of you. Yours is the one in front of you. And when we all do our work faithfully, they're all connected together. And that was the inspiration. Each one did his or her bit. And when we all do our bit, the wall's built. Now what's the significance of the wall? Walls, as we said earlier, do two things. They keep people in and they keep people out. In this, because this was a wall almost of a city, a fortress, who was being kept in? The people who needed to be safe, the building of community the building of oneness of heart and mind, the building of a safe space, collaboratively, corporately owned, owned together. Who are the people left out, kept out? The attackers, the oppressors, those who wanted to harm, those who wanted once again to enslave. And so when we build our walls, We keep each other in and safe and we keep attackers and those who cause risk out. There is a problem. There's got to be an awful amount, an awful lot of trust in this situation. So if we have 10 segments to the wall and you have these wonderful nine people here build their segments beautifully, strongly. And I, being lazy, being uncommitted, don't build my section. All their work goes utterly to waste because a wall with a gap in it is useless. A wall with a single gap is useless. Imagine building a fortress wall around your house To keep your family safe and leaving a big opening in it. We cannot afford to be that weak point. We cannot afford to be that vulnerability. We cannot afford to be the ones who place others at risk because of our lack of commitment and seriousness and action. we are corporately responsible for one another. We read it so much in scripture. Do you not know that you are all members of the body, members of one another? We're responsible for each other. So, we have the intention, we have the wall, we have it joined together. But it was beautiful. He says here... For the people had a mind to work. They didn't have a mind to reflect. They didn't have a mind to debate. They didn't have a mind to discuss. They didn't have a mind to deliberate. They didn't have a mind to have a parliamentary sitting. They didn't have a mind to have a consultation. They didn't have a mind to build a five year plan. They had a mind to to work. We can have all the intention in the world without us actually working, that's useless. We just keep going around and around and around. I don't know, in your own work setting, I'm sure you've attended one of these meetings where you think, I'm sure we've had this conversation before. And I'm sure we've decided this stuff before. And I'm sure we've made these decisions before. And I'm sure we have said before, we need to really make it work this time. And it stays on the agenda, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, in matters arising, in uncompleted work. We need to have a mind to work. The beautiful thing about this weekend is you have all intentionally come here, left everything behind, and committed yourselves to this time. You could have been doing lots of other things, but you haven't, and you're here. And it's wonderful to be here in this fellowship. And you're probably sitting here with some of what you hear thinking, that makes sense. Some of it you think, yeah, I could do that. Most of it you'll think, when is he going to finish? (laughs) Unfortunately, however, once you get out of that door tomorrow, all of this evaporates. We get on with what we like to call real life. And real life takes over. Which would mean that this weekend has been an absolute waste. You didn't come here to waste your time. Remember that as you're leaving tomorrow. Take what you can with you. And see how you can implement it. Have a mind to work. Look for the people we've been talking about family members, friends, colleagues, neighbors, acquaintances, just people you meet randomly, people whose lives you can impact because you have a mind to work. No one wants you to change the whole world. But for the one person whose life you may have touched, That person's whole world is changed. Someone write that down, it'll be tomorrow's tweet. (laughs) No seriously, we we, we become so overwhelmed. We become so overwhelmed, there's too much to do. Build your section of the wall. Do your bit and your bit alone. Don't look over your shoulder at what the other guy's doing because that'll waste your time. Because if he's going faster than you, then you feel a bit weak and you feel uh, that you can't do it and you lose hope. Or look over the other guy who's slower than you and think, oh, look, I'm better than him. I can slow down. Just do your bit and do your bit faithfully and to the best of your ability. The one person's life that you touch will have a transformative and transformational experience. And I'm sure we've all seen situations like that. If not touching us individually and directly, at least we've heard about them. And there are many, many. When our Lord healed Mary Magdalene, she became the apostle to the apostles. When he addressed the Samaritan woman, she went and proclaimed. When he called the fishermen, the tax collectors, when he healed the lepers, When he sat with the marginalized and alienated and unwanted, he changed their lives individually. But then they became his disciples, and they changed the world. <clears throat> Strategy. How do we do this? It's nice to have all these aspirations. How do we do this? The, the Nehemiah say, okay guys, great. We had our motivational speech. You know, you've all seen that that film where the team is down, they're in the locker room at half time, and things are going really badly, and they need those two points, and the coach goes out there and he says these great things, and then they win the game. So Nehemiah goes to the people and says, Look. Build, stand, here, do. Great, good talk. I'm going back to the kingdom. This is your job. It's your city. You live here. Do it. He didn't leave them. He stood by them. He helped them. He supported them. He inspired them. He worked with them. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So please... Do not use swords, spears and bows for the purposes of this talk. Just build symbolic walls that protect. We all have those weapons in our lives that we can use to protect ourselves and others. Our passion, our words, our intentions, our aspirations. He set them at the lower parts see where the vulnerability is and cover the vulnerability see where you need more strength in the gaps and cover those gaps and then we all have different different purposes different roles verse 16 so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears the shields the bows War armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Sometimes you are going to be a worker, and sometimes you are going to be a defender. Sometimes you are going to have to get your hands dirty, and sometimes you will have to look upon others as they are doing work, and look after them and defend them. And that's what we need to do. Figure out who has which role figure out what we each are needed to do in that situation and those who built the walls those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand this is great with one hand they built on worked on construction with the other they held the weapon keep yourself safe while you're doing your work the weapons we carry are not swords and spears and bows. The weapons we carry are our prayers, are our scripture, the things that support us as we work along the road, as we try to help, as we build our own section. And don't forget that indirectly, while I'm using my own weapons, For my protection, I'm protecting you. And you're protecting me. And we're building the wall for each other. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. It is the beauty of each one of us doing his or her bit and knowing how important it is. And it goes on that they had their their swords by their sides. um, And then there's this really one really important bit. Nehemiah says to the rulers, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. And that's how it feels sometimes when you're doing this work. It feels like we're all separated, different areas. This is by far the most impressive bit of this whole story. Nehemiah had beside him the trumpeter. And he says to them, Whenever you hear the trumpet, rally to us there. Whenever you hear the trumpet, rally to us there. There is nothing wrong with sounding the trumpet when you need help. There is nothing wrong with asking for assistance. There is nothing wrong with confessing vulnerability. There is nothing wrong with acknowledging weakness. Just don't give up. Sound the trumpet. In sounding the trumpet, everybody hears. Rally to us there. It needs two things, or three things, Harry, actually. First thing, is the realization of an impending uh, uh, threat. The second is sounding the trumpet. And the third is rallying to where the trumpet is. We can tell each other till we are blue in the face to sound the trumpet. But if the trumpet is sounded and no one goes, what is the point? Again, how many times have we heard the trumpet sounded? How many times have we heard people calling for help? How many times have we heard people confessing their vulnerability? How many times have we heard people confessing their weakness? And sounding that trumpet, and sometimes really loud. And you know what? The trumpet takes various kinds. For some people who have it very together, they'll say to you, I need your help. For others, they will start to go into themselves and stop reacting. For others, they'll become aggressive. For others, they will attack you. But all of those are forms of sounding the trumpet. All of those are forms of me saying, I need help. it's up to us to know. It's up to us to respond. If we don't go there, he says rally to us there. Rally. Rally means all of us going at once. Rally to us there. If we don't, then this person remains vulnerable. He or she will actually become disillusioned because he or she has said I need help and no one has rallied. We made promises we couldn't keep. There's actually, um, I have an annual theme for the diocese Um, and I've been speaking to a group of the servants and one of the suggestions that I'm putting forward for next year's theme is sounding the trumpet. There are many people in our communities, in our churches, who cry out for help in various ways. In the ways that I just explained now, including the ones who become obnoxious. That is just a way of them sounding the trumpet. What we need to do as a community is to rally. To rally to these people. To tell them that they are loved, they are not forgotten. They are valued. They are important. They are essential. And so I'm praying that that makes a difference to people's lives. But in your own way, in your own time, learn to both sound the trumpet and also respond to it. But the beauty is coming Because he says, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So let's rally. We're not going to fight. We're going to rally because we are there in his name. We're rebuilding his city for his people. And the God of heaven will fight for us. He will give us strength. He will give us words and understanding beyond our ability. He'll give us wisdom that no one can either reject or refute. You've heard all these things that our Lord has said to His disciples. Don't worry about at the time what you're going to say, what you're going to answer. Just rally. Go to the trumpet. And when you get there, the Holy Spirit will speak. God will fight for you. We are not alone that's our journey that's what we need to do it seems like a tall order it seems almost impossible but the one thing i can tell you both through this inspiring example in the book of nehemiah Through what we have seen in Scripture time and time again, through the lives of the saints who have preceded us for two millennia, through stories and accounts that we all know, and through things that both you and I have seen practically in our ministry, we know that this is true. It's tried and it's tested. It is promised. And our God is a God of fulfilled promises. He doesn't make promises He doesn't keep. He doesn't give us a a false sense of security. He doesn't humor us. He only makes the promises that He is going to keep for us. So today, as we gather, let us remember... While the book of Nehemiah is a book of the Old Testament, while this happened thousands of years ago, the struggles are the same. God is the same. The promises are the same. And by God's grace, and by us doing what we can to the best of our ability, With faithfulness, by God's grace, the outcome, the result, the victory, the joy, the overcoming, they also can be the same. Glory be to God.